at Legacy Group, you know, it's at the core of our business that we want to focus on investment opportunities that produce high social and environmental impact. We believe that we can create meaningful financial returns for our investors while also doing right by society. At Green Coffee Company, we do just that. So I could touch on a couple of things we do more granularly at the company. So from a social impact perspective, you know, we're the largest. You found the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Law Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Jason Muth here along with Rory Gale, attorney, broker, Urban Village Legal, next on Town Real Estate here in Massachusetts. How are you, Rory? Good. How are you, Jason? We're excellent. We're, we're, excellent. we're talking about alternative investments today. Rory, we talk a lot about various uh, real estate opportunities, talk about Burr strategy, short-term rentals, commercial real estate, industrial real estate, a little bit of everything. And I know a lot of people who are listening are looking for ways to continue making money in what is a volatile environment where you always have to be looking over your shoulder to see what's coming up behind you. And we thought we would do an episode about alternative investments, something that wasn't necessarily what everyone was looking at, right? Yep. And we'll, we're going to reach a little bit outside of our comfort zone today. I know we know short-term rentals you know, very intimately. We know the Northeast of the US very intimately. So we're going to venture um, far afield. We're going to talk about um, investments outside the United States, um, farmland and things that are way beyond our expertise. So that's why we're really excited to bring in um, Josh Siegelbaum today to talk about what he's been up to and the, um, you know, what we would call an alternative investments. Yes, which Josh, I'm sure you don't call it alternative investments because this is what you live all day, every day. Is that right? We still do. It is yeah. what I do every day. So it's not so much an alternative for me nowadays. It's it's the it's the norm, but we definitely operate in the alternative investment space. Well, let's welcome Josh to the podcast. Josh is the director of investor relations uh, with Legacy Group, and he comes to us from super warm Florida. And my feet and fingers are very cold up here because we're recording in the winter in Massachusetts. So Josh, welcome to the podcast. Jason, thanks for having me on the show. It's great to be here with, with you and Rory, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Tell us a little bit about the types of investments that you and uh, your firm work with and the types of investors who will put money into this. You know, I think that it's a really great place to start, you know, understanding what would be an alternative investment and, you know, specifically what you guys are offering. And then the people who come to you guys and say, hey, I have some money to invest, whether it's, you know, a million dollars, whatever the numbers are that you're working with, who are those types of folks as well? Yeah, let's unpack that, Jason. So first off, alternative investments, I mean, we like to think of that as anything that falls outside of your scope of traditional portfolio allocation. So think things like cash, stocks, bonds, real estate, you know, things that you own that, that most people have in their portfolios that financial advisors recommend and that are usually part of traditional portfolio strategy. Anything outside of that we consider to be alternative. So think private equity, real estate syndications, rather than owning it personally, owning it in in like a syndicated manner, Uh, maybe things like crypto even. So we definitely operate in the alternative investment space Um, at Legacy Group. uh, We're a private equity asset manager. Green Coffee Company is our flagship portfolio company. And it's an early stage private company where we are giving investors direct access 
to land holdings and agriculture in Colombia. Uh, we control 6,500 acres of coffee farmland, over 7 million coffee trees, and we've grown the Green Coffee Company to be the largest coffee producer, largest single consolidated coffee producer in the country of Colombia. Um, we have goals of scaling the business and and reaching the U.S. markets through an IPO um, or or a sale, but our, the IPO would be our preferred exit strategy. So this is definitely outside of the scope of what investors typically have in their portfolios, and I'll touch on kind of our investors and what they are invested in, what their profile is typically. So we have 350 investors who have participated in Green Coffee Company. We raised 45 million in capital. We're in the middle of our Series C funding round. And the people that work with us, they're usually either high income earners, entrepreneurs, business owners, people that own residential property, maybe they own commercial property. They're already exposed to the stock market. They're already exposed to most pockets of the US markets. And they're looking to diversify. They're looking to put an allocation in their portfolio that isn't as correlated with everything else. You know, we're seeing this year and in the last couple of years, I mean, just such a high correlation with all asset classes. Like the 60-40 portfolio theory is almost kind of out the window because, you know, bond prices were going down while stock prices were going down. And the market is kind of acting very irrational in certain ways, right? So investors are looking for ways, you know, not to necessarily sell out of their equities or, or, or move all their money out of cash because investors are rightfully keeping money in cash nowadays, but they're looking for ways in which they can get exposure to other markets. You know, our, our investors are heavily allocated to U.S. assets, whether it's anything that I just mentioned, the homes that they own, the businesses that they run, and, and they want to get in and on early with direct placements in interesting companies that are disrupting industries. And um, all of our investors are accredited. So we we have uh, requirements, of course, on, on who we could accept into the business. Minimum investments, 100,000. So you can kind of think like, all right, well, who's typically investing in these? It's people that, you know, our, our investors net worth around two to 10 million is, is kind of the average 80% Americans, but we have investors from all over the world. But you know, these investors are rightfully concerned about what's going on economically on a macro level, and, and we are providing a solution to them um, in order to hopefully achieve outstanding financial returns in excess of the rest of their portfolio over the years to come. Yeah. So I know uh, Green Coffee Company is kind of, is your flagship investment at Legacy Group. Um, and it you go taking a deep dive into that probably illustrates um, who you are and what your goals are. But let's back up a second. And how did you find this investment? How did you come across um, this investment of all the other potential investments that were out there? Sure. So let me kind of take you back to the beginning or, or, or close to it. So I studied economics at Rutgers University I'm from the Northeast originally, pretty pretty close to where, where you guys are at, but in New Jersey. Out of school, I started working in private banking. So I was with Wells Fargo Advisors for about six years. That brought me down to South Florida in 2018. Uh, after being here for about a year, I found the partners at Legacy Group, Cole Shepard and Adam Jason. They live and work out of Medellin, Colombia, not too far from me down in South Florida, but they're both uh, U.S. trained as well. One is a corporate attorney. The other is a corporate accountant by trade. And, and they've been living on the ground in Colombia since, I believe, 2015. So in 2017, uh, Cole Shepard, the founding partner of GCC and, and one of the uh, partners at Legacy Group, he founded the company and it was birthed as an alternative to um, a passive real estate investment. So we had investors 
U.S. investors who were living and traveling around Colombia. They, they were interested in adding exposure to their portfolio. And we really built this product around the needs of a set of high net worth investors. They were looking for a collateralized asset play, one in which we could uh, kind of spit off dividends on an annual basis that was backed by the land. And obviously, coffee in Colombia are synonymous with one another. So we thought of no better uh, place to start than there. So we founded the company in 2017. We did the first funding round in 2018. And the idea at the time was to buy some farms and grow coffee and spit off cash flow to investors. It, it grew um, multiples of that, you know, and we've really just grown and scaled the company. The thesis has evolved. Now it's really a growth opportunity rather than a income-oriented investment. We issue common equity in a U.S. holding company. However, we deploy all the all the uh, capital down there to build up our balance sheet. Being down there on the ground, uh, the two partners, they just saw a tremendous opportunity for arbitrage, ways that we, we could pick up assets off market, add value. And, you know, investors that work with us, they love that it's real asset back. You know, a lot of the people that work with us are real estate investors. So even though it's an operating company, you know, it's very much a balance sheet business. And and we're able to, you know, with the exchange rate, you know, when we started the project, it was under 2,500 to one uh, Colombian peso per US dollar. Now we're approaching 5,000 to one. So we've essentially doubled our buying power in, in a number of years. Um, coffee itself is a commodity that's denominated in dollars and, and we sell it in Colombia and outside of the country. So there's a really interesting hedge here um, in investing there, particularly in coffee. And then, you know, the region itself, you know, right for disruption, the coffee industry is so antiquated and so like they, they operate in a manner with technology from decades ago, it seems. And we're bringing in world-class technology management teams and, and really kind of turning the industry on its head. And um, so a lot of reasons brought us there, but it was a company we found from the ground up because we saw that there was opportunity in the market and our investors had an appetite for it. And you mentioned accredited investors earlier. You know, I went through that process a couple of years ago once I realized like what it was when people were asking for accreditation. Why don't you just go into that really quickly for people who are listening, thinking they know what that is, but don't exactly know what it means or takes to be an accredited investor? Of course, Jason. So here in the U.S., um, the requirement would be you could either meet it through income or net worth. Okay, so on the income side, it would be two hundred thousand dollars a year in income as an individual, or three hundred thousand dollars a year if if filing jointly. If you wanted to meet it as an investor on the net worth side, it would be a million dollar or more net worth, excluding your primary residence. So we would validate that you meet either of those criteria in order to invest in an offering such as ours. Right. And, and my understanding, I might have this wrong, but my understanding is that there are accredited investments such as this where you need to be an accredited investor just so you know, people that don't have a ton of money or a lot of experience are losing their shirt on something that might be less um, secure than you know, nothing secure these days, but you know, it might be an investment that uh, might be a little bit more out there where you're looking around your portfolio out. It might not be the first place to start for somebody that is not quite accredited. Is that, is that accurate? That is accurate. And the, and the reason, you know, we have the offering structured as a under reg D 506 C, which allows us to openly advertise, but we can only accept capital from accredited investors. And you kind of hit the nail on the head. I mean, we, we want to ensure that investors are sophisticated enough in order to make, decisions to invest in projects such as these. This shouldn't be the first 
investment going into your investor's portfolio. So for those who are like building up to the million dollar mark or, or just starting professionally and have re- modest income levels, uh, I mean, essentially we want to protect them. These securities are inherently illiquid. So investors need to have substantial liquidity in their portfolio in order to meet their everyday needs. So you're right. I mean, this should, this is not geared towards uh novice investors. I mean, we, we have generally pretty sophisticated people who work with us and, and and there's risk with any investment. But when you're working with private equity, like I said, it's inherently illiquid. Time frames are, are malleable. So we want to ensure that investors are sophisticated and that they know what they're getting involved with. Even though we see the high potential, it's important to uh, protect investors against any downside, of course. We'll be right back. Every other real estate rental property deal analysis spreadsheet is wrong. The only spreadsheet that correctly analyzes your real estate deals taking into account reserves, true cash flow, including depreciation, and your true net equity on a property is the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet from the Real Estate Financial Planner. Download a free copy today and finally start analyzing your rental properties correctly. Go to refp.info forward slash free to download it today. Sure. And, you know, with 350 people investing already, how much should you say was raised? I mean, it's $100,000 or more per person, right? Was it $45 million? Is that what you're right, $45 million today, right. yes. Yeah, I was doing the, doing the quick math. It was about 123000 <laughs> or so per person on average. I'm sure that some people are putting a lot in, some are putting in the minimum. But yeah, my hunch, you know, if these are people that are, they have invest net worth of two to $10 million, they've probably done a couple deals themselves. They own a couple properties. They own some securities and they're looking for the next thing, right? I mean, investors are inherently itchy. There's not a single person on this planet that has money to invest who hasn't at least looked at crypto, right? They might look at it and say, I don't get this thing, or they might look at it and go all in or test it out. And this is clearly not crypto, but it's like the point is people will look at other things. You know, if you have multifamily investors who I'm sure that are in your class of investors, maybe they've done a couple multis and maybe the market's soft right now, or it's hard to find a deal because, you know, there's very little on the market that really cash flows correctly. And they're saying, hey, I'm sitting on a couple hundred thousand dollars. I got to do something with it. Right. So that's maybe where you come in. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we, we have a lot of investors who invest in multifamily and other syndicated projects, and they're looking around out the portfolio, supplement some of that cash flow with some growth. Also, you know, on the commercial real estate front, there's uncertainty everywhere now, but with the rising rate environment, it makes it challenging and it puts certain business plans and theses that people put together. Like if you want to refinance later, well, maybe that doesn't work anymore <laughs> in terms of an exit strategy. So there's certain things going on in that space that are driving investors to look out outside of it and to supplement what they have. You're right. Yeah, Rory and I talk about that a lot. You know, you hit the nail on the head with refinancing. Boy, it's been like a decade of people being able to just kind of come in and out of real estate investments where, you know, you're in at a certain low rate, you refinance it a six months, 12 months, 18 months later, also at a kind of low rate and on you go, right? You know, but here we're in a situation where people are sitting on these loans of, you know, 3% plus or minus a half basis point or so. And they don't want to touch it, right? They're not going to refinance that for a 7% loan, 8% loan, unless you really need to. 
I know. <laughs> we're in the same boat right here. So, you know, we're saying, geez, maybe maybe next year it'll be a little bit different where I could actually refinance a couple of these properties. But, you know, you just got to either sit tight and say, how do we free up money otherwise or where do we put money otherwise, right? And this could be one of those places. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that there are some brightness ahead in terms of where rates are going and, and some kind of stability in the markets. I think, you know, as the Fed sort of unwinds with the, the work that they've been doing with raising and they kind of switch gears, I think this, the conversation changes a bit. It just remains to be seen when that is. I mean, at least in the foreseeable future, we're expecting some additional hikes, but I think things will moderate in the next couple of years and we'll have more certainty in the market. But Nevertheless, I, I still expect that we'll have interest in, in what we're doing. I'm looking at the Green Coffee Company, and we're calling it an alternative investment um, because of where it's located, because it's outside the traditional asset classes that we think about. But I know you've taken a lot of time to um, talk about your social impact, um, and in some ways that is, in itself is an alternative investment. Could you talk a little bit about your company's approach to um, its social impact, environmental impact? And is that something that is going to be important for any future investments that you make? Absolutely, Rory. I love that topic. And thanks for asking. So, I mean, at Legacy Group, you know, it's at the core of our business that we want to focus on investment opportunities that produce high social and environmental impact. We believe that we can create meaningful financial returns for our investors while also doing right by society. And at Green Coffee Company, we do just that. So I could touch on a couple of things we do more granularly at the company. So from a social impact perspective, you know, we're the largest employer in the town where we have our farms, the town of Salgar. It's about two hours outside of Medellin. We employ over 400 people full time. We provide real employment and formal benefits. So what does that mean? We pay into pensions. We pay people through bank accounts, not through not with cash. Uh, we offer health insurance, paid time off, care and leave for children. It sounds normal for us here in the U.S. We're like, oh, well, that's how things are done. It is not done like that in, in Colombian agriculture or in agricultural industry in general in Latin America. So we're doing a lot to lift up the communities and where we operate, pay fairly, um, provide education, housing. I mean, we're, we're doing things that are not done in, in Colombian coffee. We're revolutionizing the way in which people are paid and, and employed in the industry. From an environmental perspective, uh, we do a lot as well. So we reduce plastic by using biodegradable planting mechanisms. So we have some technology we brought in from Europe. It's an elipot planting system. So we could plant the coffee trees without using plastics. Typically coffee trees are planted in plastic bags and it's just terrible for the environment. We're reducing a lot of waste there. We also use less water in our facilities than, than is typical. We're building out solar plants. There's just a lot on the environmental front as well. So we're not greenwashing. So this is this is at the core of the business where like everything we do is around impact, right? Obviously we want to make money and that's <laughs> that that's kind of first and foremost. But you know, as we're deciding, okay, what initiative do we want to pursue, we want to make sure that it that it checks all those boxes as it relates to ESG. Compare this to uh let's use a kind of an extreme example, like an arms dealer that take that donates 10% of profits to like a green cause. You know, there's a lot of that in the market. Maybe that's an extreme version, but like companies that at the core of their business, they're an oil company, for example, or they do something, something like what I just mentioned. Hmm. And then they, they have like an arm of the company that's ESG or impact or, or a prop percent donated. You know, we don't think that that's real impact. So mm -hmm. 
you know, we're trying to smooth out the, the realities here of what it takes to, to be, you know, a good company that does right by all stakeholders. It's like the casinos in New Hampshire, Rory, who have to give a percentage to the uh, charity of the week, which is <laughs> legit. It's posted in the casino and uh, they have to skim it off and give it to them. And that's how they get their license. Things I could think of, you know, I'm thinking like a listener right now saying, hey, listen, I got a hundred grand. I want to do something else with it. Real estate market stinks. I can't find a good investment. And we're recording this at the end of the year. So this is going to come out in the next tax year, right? So, you know, right now people are doing a lot of tax planning. You know, we're recording this in December. Um, so let's just say that, you know, we're fast forward another year, investments like this. Like, is there, like, what is the pitch with why this would be good for somebody who might be looking to ease up their tax burden for the calendar year? Like, is there some advantage, uh, Josh, that an investor might have? It's a good question, Jason. So while the investment is structured in the U.S. and we're issuing common equity here, the assets on the balance sheet, at least now, like we're planning, we didn't touch on this, but we're planning a U.S. expansion with a roasting facility and, and more of a presence here as we look towards an exit. But at least now, with the assets being outside of the U.S., we're not able to take advantage of any depreciation or pass-through depreciation for, for our investors. So it's it's most certainly a grow my net worth style investment as opposed to a tax advantage investment. You know, you see certain, you know, an ATM fund as an example where you get like full depreciation in, in year one or in the first couple of years. This is not that. Um, it, it's very much a, a growth oriented investment and, and we're not able to do anything on the depreciation front for tax planning. Now, we are able to have investment done in a self-directed IRA, and we have many investors who have elected to do that. So they'll make contributions into a traditional IRA or a Roth, or, or they'll use funds that are already in one, and they'll use that in order to invest with us. So investors could achieve some tax benefits there, investing in deals such as ours, whether it's us or, or, or with another um, asset manager through a retirement account. And, and then that, that'll, there's some inherent tax benefits there, I'd say. Sure. And we have talked about that on this podcast before, Rory. We talked about investing in real estate using a self-directed IRA, haven't we? It works well for a narrow slice of the investors that are out there. So somebody um, with kind of enough assets for it to to make sense to you know jump through the the administrative hurdles to get there. Um, but it sounds like a lot of the people who would be looking at these sorts of alternative investments would actually be often the same set of people that would benefit from a self directed version of their um, retirement accounts. Yeah, but you know, you think about it, if you've been working for a couple of decades and worked for a couple of companies and you take your 401ks and have rolled them all together over the years and they're in a traditional or Roth, whatever it is, IRA, and you know, you're frustrated by the performance of the stock market. You don't want to put it just in a, you know, 2040 retirement index fund or whatever your target date is. So you look at things like this. If you're able to do it, you know, through your self-directed IRA, you know, it's an interesting way to get some growth from an emerging market. Uh, you know, such as a coffee estate in Colombia. Right. And then you get the pride of saying that, you know, I own a socially and environmentally conscious coffee company in Colombia. That's revolutionizing um, how the coffee industry works. I mean, that's probably a point of pride to, to have a stake in something like that, you know, which begs the question, I think for me, you know, what are some of the other future investments that um, Legacy is working on? Or even if you can't say that, just, you know, what do you have? What do you see in your future? 
We have another portfolio company investment that we've made at Legacy Group a few years ago in a company called Polygonus. They do 3D art and design, e-learning. It's a tech company based out of Medellin. Very much not coffee, but a, but a Colombian business and one that's very interesting. So we made a seed investment in them a number of years ago. It's done very well. Uh, they do art and design for Netflix productions in Latin America, video games, things of that nature. It's, it's a really cool company, but one in which we hope at the point in the future we might be able to bring to the investor base, depending on um, capital needs for the company. So there could be some possibility there for a funding round for Polygonus. Otherwise, you know, we're very much focused on the short term with, with Green Coffee Company. We're targeting a 2026 exit. We have heavy expansion plans in the near term. But beyond that, um, I'd expect that you know, we're further diligencing deals and we always have our eyes open in, in ways in which we could invest in, in companies that we believe in and founders that we believe in or in companies that we can build personally like we did here. So industries such as energy, technology, um, fintech, uh, very much Latin American focus right now, specific in Colombia only. You would expect a LATAM focus in an innovative industry, early stage company, one of the industries that we're in now or, or something similar. Mm -hmm. Josh, is there a community element at all to this for the investors? Like, you know, do they ever get together? Is there, you know, do they go <laughs> check out the actual coffee growing? Can they do that? Or is it really just, you know, looking for somewhere to park their money and you got people all across the country and they don't really know each other and that's fine? That's a good question, Jason. We absolutely host investor trips and tours. So we take, I'm planning one for February right now with some of our top investors are coming down. We're meeting in Medellin. We're going to spend some time in the city doing a full day uh, out at the farms on Thursday, two hours by car, 20 minutes by helicopter. We're fortunate enough to take a helicopter out there. We do like full tours. We show investors the facilities. We show them the farms. And then we take them back to Med well, the plan is go back to Medellin, show them a good time Friday night, and then uh, give them the weekend to themselves, or, or we do something uh, experiential over the weekend as well. There's definitely an experiential component. Not every investor wants to come down. We're not able to host every single one at, at every time, but we do several trips uh, throughout the year based on business needs. Uh, we had an inauguration event at one of our facilities last October, not this year, but the, the year prior, where we invited some investors down. Uh, we had an opening this year, which wasn't investor focused. We had um, political figures come from Colombia, members of Starbucks. They, they came to that one. But it's definitely experiential. Investors love being invested in a coffee company. As, as Rory mentioned, it's something cool that they could tell their buddies. They also love the coffee. So even though we're focused on... Uh, unroasted green coffee at this time. We do have roasted coffee available as we're getting into that line of business. So investors have been given holiday gifts. So they're given like this year, we're doing like coffee mugs from Yeti with fresh GCC coffee. Um, it's definitely an experiential thing. So we do trips down uh, to Columbia. We also do things in the US. For example, in Florida, we did, we've done a couple like investor meet and greets or like Q&A in person, happy hour type thing. So we try and do that as well. And I'm looking to plan additional events in, in Florida and in Colombia in, in the months to come. And of course, everyone gets to meet Shakira, right? Of course. That, yeah. Because yeah. she's everywhere in Colombia. How do you handle an investor class the size that you do and if they have questions for you or if they if they 
don't think the direction is right or they want a different decision made. You're in charge of investor relations. I mean, it might be challenging when you give that many people, you know, a voice. You know, they're putting $100,000 in or more. It's a lot of money for them. They might want you to do X instead of Y. You know, how, how does that get handled? So we do formal quarterly investor updates. We just had a, at the time of this recording, we had it two days ago. Uh, we had our Q3 investor update webinar uh, and we provide a written report. It's a summary of what we did for the quarter. We give consolidated financial statements and then we do a Q&A webinar. We do that every three months for the entire investor base. If they're unable to make it, we send a replay of the webinar thereafter. In between that, we do uh, newsletter updates. So typically every week, uh, we send a newsletter out to our investor base. We also have others who are not yet invested who are just following what we're doing. So I'd encourage anyone that's listening to this, if you want to follow along and hear updates about the company, uh, we have a newsletter I can direct you to at the end of this um, at the end of this recording here. But we're very communicative. So every week I'm giving value add content, I'm providing maybe videos from the farms, commentary around different updates that are going on, and then we plug in the formal updates every three months. Anyone could reply to those regular emails, they can schedule a call with me personally, I always make myself available to schedule one-on-one -on -one meetings with any of our investors. So they all have my calendar link, they have my contact information. We run a very tight ship, being very communicative leads to I don't want to say no questions, but less questions, right? Like I'm not getting 50 questions a week on why is this happening or what's going on here. Usually it's great job on this. This is awesome. What does this look like? You know, and they might ask like a little plug on, on some of the information that we're following. So people reach out. We usually get a questions through email so they can contact us anytime at our investor relations inbox. All the investors also have my phone number uh, in order to get in touch with me personally. So uh, we're very personal. Um, I handle the onboarding directly with our investors, you know, so they'll work from with me from day one and through the entire period of their investment, you know, perhaps in the future we'll have a investor relations associate, but we, we run it a pretty tight ship now between myself and the two partners at Legacy Group. And um, yeah, we're always open and available and communicative and it leads to... Um, yeah, I don't have a lot of people saying, I think you should run the business like this, to your point that you mentioned. If they do, we're happy to take that feedback. I always tell investors, if you have input on what we're doing, introductions that you think would be valuable to the company, I would love to hear that. And we always take it into consideration. Yeah. It's a fascinating look into how an investment like this can be structured or what some of the benefits are, what to expect if you as an investor are looking at an investment such as this one you know we've been involved in a couple syndicated deals over the years and you know just a handful and i could tell you that what you've described is not exactly what we got in every situation and you know it definitely led to some personal frustration when you don't hear what's going on you know with where you're investing your deal one of the deals was over I, we rory we put in over 100k in a deal and you know, I felt like it was crickets for a long time and we eventually got the money back and got out. But, um, you know, everything you've described, Josh, I think is is probably what's expected of, uh, you know, an organization like yourself, you know, who are looking for accredited investors to invest in a project like this. And, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you have the money that you want to invest, you know, with Josh or with another, you know, similarly structured deal, um, I think everything you just described right there is what 
an investor should look for, right? They should ask those questions of like, what's the communication like? You know, they want to see, touch, smell, feel, you know, what's going on with this investment? Who are the people? Where's my money going? You know, because if you're, you know, putting investment toward a coffee farm in Colombia or, you know, you name it, uh, it could be here in the US, it could be somewhere else. Um, you know, there's questions. People have legit questions. And, you know, real estate investors out there, I think they invest in real estate because it's a tangible asset. You know, you could step in it if you need to. You can go walk to it if you want to. You could fly over to it if you're investing 3,000 miles away, right? You know, but there's something there. So, you know, yeah. it's good that you actually have that level of, of communication with your investors. Before we get to the final couple of questions, Rory, uh, what are you thinking in terms of uh, legal issues that anyone might want to think about before they go into investment such as this? And this is not legal advice. What question might be on your mind if I were to come to you and say, hey, I'm going to invest in a coffee farm in Colombia? We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Alex Brayshaw. Join me as I celebrate the positive impact of business and what drives the people behind it. It's a chance to hear from business leaders, emerging sectors and industry influencers about their unfinished business in just 25 minutes. Um, well, some of the things I'm first thinking about are the layers of syndication here to make sure that you're doing it correctly. And we hit, um, we hit on the the topic of accredited investors, because um, making sure you're in line with all the securities regulations, I think it's something that can trip up a lot of smaller deals where they may not realize they're running afoul of the SEC rules. So there's that layer of um, syndications here. Um, and then the way that they've structured it, if it's basically an American company that has assets uh, abroad, it makes it a little bit simpler for American investors because the the corporate language and the corporate structures are going to be a little bit more familiar to them, even if the assets themselves are abroad. Convoluted, but I think the kind of the most important thing from the investor's point of view is how the syndication works and making sure that they um, they're investing correctly and then making sure that it uh, works with their tax strategy. Why don't we get to the final couple of questions, Josh, and then you could uh, tell everybody where they can reach out to you. We'll put everything in the show notes with links and everything. We ask you three questions of all the guests that appear on the podcast, uh, just as a way to wrap things up and get to know you a little bit better. Uh, the first of these questions is, if you can get on stage for a half hour and talk about any subject in the world with zero preparation, what would that be? I would have to say alternative investments, particularly in Latin America. You know, I've been comfortable on stage in the past with that. It's one I've done keynote speeches on, I've been parts of panels, and we do webinars all the time on the subject. I think I could do a 30-minute presentation with no preparation, with my hopefully with my eyes closed. But <laughs> Pretty confident that you can based on what you've said so far today. Second question we have, uh, tell us something that happened early in your life or career that impacts the way that you're working today. It's a good one. Um, I, lo I love this question. So there are many things, of course, but um, something that comes or stands out to me, I mean, which is somewhat on topic here. Uh, when I was a private banker uh, with Wells Fargo, a little earlier on in my career, or even the whole time I was, right, I, I was always working with high net worth clients, right? And, and one thing I noticed, a parallel between all of them, almost every single one of them, they invest in real estate. So it was a parallel that I saw like from the beginning of my career, like I was out of college, I started in an earlier role at the bank through, through the private banker role. And I just saw that all the time with, with every investor. And I was wondering, I'm like, how does this client get to wear shorts and I'm wearing a suit? I don't understand. Like I was like asking myself these questions when I was like in my early 20s. So um, that really opened my eyes, just being exposed to 
clients every day. You know, I managed a book, a high net worth clients, and I was their relationship manager. They trusted me. They were telling me things that they were doing in their life. I just learned so much there. And like the power of leverage and the power of real estate, you know, it, it was like really stood out to me early on and the power of investing in, in general, right? So um, there's just so much out there that's outside of the typical portfolio strategy, right? Like at, if you're working with a financial advisor, which I was at, at the bank, right? A lot of the, like, oh, the client has money. They, yeah, we could lend them money for real estate, but they can invest in a brokerage account. We can manage a brokerage for them. Well, that's not necessarily for everyone. And, and I noticed that, you know, the people that took the money themselves and they invested in their own companies or they invested in, in real assets themselves rather than bank products, they did in, way better than, than the other investors that had maybe half a million dollars in a brokerage account. They come to see their advisor every three months to do a portfolio review. And then, you know, it's just such a big difference. So that those experiences with my clients early on really opened my eyes to investing real estate and the whole nine. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing that you're able to surround yourself with those types of high net worth individuals early in your career. Um, what you learned right there is something that lots of people never learn or they learn later on, uh, not when it's too late, but when they wish they learned it earlier. So, you know, you certainly had a head start there. And since we're talking about real estate, real estate law on this podcast all the time, we are firm believers in the value of investing in real estate. So, you know, we're on the same page there. Of course. Yeah. Finally, tell us something you're watching, listening to, or reading these days. An interesting book sitting right here next to me, uh, Ninja Selling by Larry Kendall. It's a very cool one. Uh, my wife went to, um, I don't know what you would call it, like a sort of a mastermind group for it. Like she went to like a four day program and they taught her all, all the skills from the book. But the book is just really interesting. It's, it's essentially like tactics on how to solve problems and help people. And that leads to just like clients all coming to you basically. And, and that's some... I was kind of doing that without even realizing it in certain ways. But, you know, the book speaks volumes about just leading with adding value and then business essentially comes your way, right? The clients, like you don't have to go after clients. You provide value and do things right. And um, it's just a really cool book. So that was Ninja Selling by Larry Kelly. Yeah. We'll check that out. You know, I spent many years in a sales environment. I was a sales manager for, you know, well over a decade. And uh, I learned a lot in that sales, you're not selling, but you're solving problems, right? You know, you're filling a need, you're solving an issue, you're making things more efficient. Um, and, and that's kind of what you're alluding to there as well. You know, and that's, that's how the true sales happen. And that's how people come to you. Because if word gets around that you can solve somebody's need with what you're selling, well, you're not even selling anything. You're just, you know, you're helping them out and they're paying you for it. And that's sales. Exactly. Yes. Bonus question. How do you take your coffee? Depends where I am. At home, I, I take it with a splash of half and half, no sugar. That's yeah. us. That's that's how I do it. That's how I do it too. Yeah. If it. I'm in Colombia, black usually. Yeah. <laughs> would, they, would they look down on you if you put anything in it? <laughs> Not if you're in a cafe, but if you're out at the farms, you have to drink a tinto, which is just black. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for all your time today and really explaining uh, not only your investment, but um, you know alternative investments as a category. It's something we haven't covered uh, too much on this podcast. And I think a lot of what you have described would apply to lots of other potential alternative investments out there. So walking our audience through that, I think is super helpful. How can people get a hold of you if they have questions about you or the investment or investing in coffee or you know 
any in particular that you heard in this podcast? Sure. You could find us online, uh, legacy-group.co. That's our website. You can also subscribe to our newsletter there. If you'd like to reach out to me directly, you can send us an email, investor.relations at legacy-group.co. We'd love to connect with you in this Series C funding round that we're in. We're forecasting an 11x net return on invested capital through 2026, and it's currently open to accredited investors. We'd love to connect. Excellent. Thank you for that. And Rory, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me through my real estate brokerage, Next Home Titletown, nexthometitletown.com, or through my law practice, Urban Village Legal, urbanvillagelegal.com. And that's it. That's a wrap. That is another episode of the Real Estate Law Podcast. Uh, thank you for listening. If you want to reach out to me directly, if you have questions about being on the podcast or questions about anything you've heard, you can reach me, Jason, at nexthometitletown.com. We're super excited that we had an episode that we focused on coffee. We love coffee. Um, I have my dunks right here because in the Northeast, everyone's got to have Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, we nurse our iced coffee all day. I know you're probably looking at that saying that is not sustainably raised coffee. <laughs> that is not Colombian coffee, but hey, it gets the job done for us. And, uh, you know, Northeasterners, as you know, you know, having lived in New Jersey, uh, we're hearty folks and we'll drink iced coffee all through the winter. So, oh, yeah. So on behalf of Rory, Josh, thanks so much. Interesting and excellent conversation. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And if you've enjoyed it, uh, if you could please give us a great review online or drop a comment on YouTube, we'd appreciate that as well. Thank you. That's it. Bye. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures. And law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Title Town. Greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.